here we'll look at 14 and you know these verses they each one of them I mean you could I mean I do sometimes preach on just one verse or half a verse at times with these but I don't think you can be too careful with the Word of God and 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 looking at the just the promises that are given here it's they're absolutely wonderful promises to the children of God and the great truths that God wants us to understand that these are for us they're for the children of God they're for those that have trusted Christ as their Savior and we need to learn these as much as we understand the condemnation of sin and the condemnation in hell we ought to understand the blessings of the Lord we ought to understand uh, what God has for us and what he has given us and that doesn't that's not we don't wait for that until we go to heaven we have that now we have those blessings right now and we ought to always remember that and I think this world and Satan who's the God of this world wants to drown our minds and hearts away from that so we we kind of detach ourselves from those promises and the blessings that God has given to us and sometimes we lose sight of those things and it's very important that as much as we focus on the condemnation of those that are lost and dead in their sins, we ought to rejoice and we ought to focus on the blessings and the power of God and the grace and the goodness of God for His children. And God's people need to be reminded constantly of God's goodness. They need to be reminded of how good God is to them and the promises that He has made to them and that He will always keep. And these, these, Paul continues this from Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 17. He, he started that really in that verse back there. And then he just continues to, to mine out those truths all the way through. And you need to meditate on these things. I mean, you need to think on these things and think on God's goodness to you. And not, not just skip over it like it doesn't mean anything because it does mean something. And especially to, to us, and, and that we need to, to grasp hold of these promises. Uh, okay, so Paul says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. I want you to think about that phrase. We're going to really talk about the believer's peace tonight. But he says, and kind of mind that out, but he says that word for, which is the same as because. And there's nothing wrong with the word for there. It's not improper. It's right. There's something wrong with our understanding. So we have to be enlightened and we have to learn from the scriptures because we don't, people want to master the Greek language. They don't have the English language mastered. Right. They don't understand the simple English that God has for them, right? Let alone going into different languages and trying to figure things out. But that word for is used in a number of different ways. And in this context, Paul is continuing the thought. He gives a contrast. He says, but now in Christ Jesus... Ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. He's saying, because Christ is our peace. That's why you should understand this. That's You have been made nigh by the blood, for he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make it himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Says it twice, he brings up that peace again. Let's pray. Father, Lord, help us as we go through the scriptures tonight. Thank you for them, Lord. Help them to comfort our hearts. Help us to be obedient and submissive to them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> You know, all men truly want peace, and God's people are no different. Peace is something that men crave. I mean, we talk about that peace on earth and goodwill toward men, that the scriptures uh, mine out those truths of things, of that Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has given to man, and, what, and the peace that he has made with God. You know, when, if, if our, our world is like a war zone, it's, it's constantly, not just the wars, it's, there's always factioning and warring that goes on in this world. Be it militarily, be it uh, family, be it uh, governments and of this world and, and work, workplaces that you go to work at. Just the world is at constant war. It's at, and we are at war against the, the prince of darkness and the, and, and the world, right? We're at war against Christ's enemies in that sense. But we need to understand, number one here tonight, that Christ is our peace. If you look at that, for he is 
our peace. We have peace since Christ himself is our peace. The peace with God could not be more secure. There is no way tonight that a child of God can have more security than God has given in the atonement of Jesus Christ. You think about that. There is no more. There is no other way that I can be more secure in Christ or more secure with God than for what Christ did for me and who he is. You need to think more on who Christ is and less on who you are. It is so easy to think on, on ourselves, but we are commanded to think on Christ. And when we do not think on Christ and we think on ourselves, we lose those, those, um, the conscience of peace. Do you understand there's a difference? We don't lose the peace. How can you lose the peace? You can't lose Christ. He is our peace. I can't lose Christ, but I can lose the consciousness of peace, right? I can lose that, the consciousness of that, of that peace and the strength of that peace, and that, but I never lose the peace itself because Christ is our peace. You have to understand that. The strength of salvation and, and understanding that's what Paul is teaching. Only if God would reject Christ would he reject the sinner who put his faith in Christ. If this great truth is realized by God's people, they will experience peace by exercising faith. In reality, they may already have peace, but not come to the full understanding and assurance of that peace. Many struggle with that. But peace with God is a stated fact through Christ's atonement. Stated in the word of God. It's, it's a matter of fact, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. It's, God doesn't change his mind. Not like that. He's immutable. God doesn't change the, his nature doesn't change. God may change the actions if a man repents, but God, God's nature doesn't change. Cannot change. He's holy. The only reason why somebody would change is if something, number one, would overpower them, or number two, they weren't already perfect. <laughs> God is holy. Holiness doesn't change. There's no reason for it to, and there's nothing that can overpower him. Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. To know Christ is to know peace. To know Christ is to realize the peace that God has given through him. This, this text, there's an evident allusion here to Isaiah 57, 19. The peace here referred to is that by which a union in worship and in feeling has been produced between the Jews and the Gentiles. So there's an aspect of that that we're going to talk about tonight, that God made peace between the Jew and the Gentile. They weren't at peace, were they? They had different objects of worship, different religious rites, different views and feelings. The Jews regarded the Gentiles with hatred, and the Gentiles, the Jews, with scorn. Now, says the apostle, they are at peace. They worship the same God. They have the same Savior. They depend on the same atonement. They have the same hope. They look forward to the same heaven. They belong to the same redeemed family. Amen. That's what Paul is speaking of. The bigger picture, what Paul is speaking of, we're going to talk a little bit about the peace that the believer has, but we're also going to talk about the peace that was provided between Jew and Gentile in the church. That's who Paul is addressing. He's talking about those that are in Christ, in Ephesus. So be specific here. That's who Paul is addressing. He's not addressing lost people. He's addressing the church and those among the church that are saved, that are in Christ. I'll tell you what, all these people that read this Bible outside of God's church, I did, it just baffles my mind. 
how they allegorize it, spiritualize text, and look at it and, and try to apply text to Facebook or something. Right? To the church of the online. No, it doesn't apply. He's talking to a church. These are epistles to a church. And the believers that are in that church. And he's explaining a great truth to them. Hebrews 13, 20. Now the God of peace. Where does peace come from? It comes from God. That's right. That's why men can go through and women can go through horrible storms of life. And still have a strength, a guiding strength that takes them through it. That strength is the Lord. Because He is our peace. That's the peace of God. Christ is the peace of God. There is no other peace. There is no other. There is, all else is false. All else is faulty. All else falls. But Christ is the one that holds us up. Amen. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 2, again speaks of peace. Grace unto you and peace. What comes first? Grace. Then comes peace. For by grace are you saved through faith, right? What comes first? Paul, Paul's salutation is in biblical order, isn't it? Right? Grace comes. You get saved by the grace of God. Peace comes. God gives his peace. You have peace with God. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 16. Now the Lord of peace. He calls himself the Lord of peace. That's what Paul calls him, the Lord of peace. Himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. 1 Thessalonians 14, 33. I think this is an interesting verse. I think sometimes it's, it might be misapplied just a tad bit. But look at what it says here. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Do you notice that the opposite of confusion is not clarity, it's peace. He says that God is not the author of confusion, but he's the author of peace. Confusion disrupts the soul. Confusion, Satan wants to confuse people. He wants to seduce them from the simplicity that is in Christ. But what God gives is peace. For God is not the author. God doesn't confuse us. He's very plain. When I preach this book to you and I read this book to you, I try to read it and preach it very plainly to you. Why? Because God made it plain. And he made it plain so you can't say, I'm really confused about that. I don't understand what you're saying. Well, if you're not saved, then you definitely won't understand it until you get born again by the Spirit of God. And then it won't sound like I'm speaking a different language to you. Right? You'll understand it. God's Spirit will give you illumination, understanding. He is the spirit of understanding. He gives it to us, right? But what you, what you have without Christ is confusion. And that's what Satan offers is confusion. And Christ makes it simple. You're a rotten sinner on your way to hell. Repent and believe the gospel. It's not like an in-between land where it's like, oh, no, you're not, you're not this and you're not that. You're kind of floating. No, that's the devil that does that. That's satanic confusion. God makes it simple. When the Son of Man shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen. He makes it clear. He doesn't confuse anyone. Very clear. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. That wasn't just for Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. It's for Old Paz Baptist Church tonight. Look what he says here. But of peace as in all, the, all churches of the saints. So that's the peace that comes from God. Clarity, understanding, but peace instead of confusion. So when men are confused, that doesn't come from the Lord, does it? Romans tells us, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
See, I'm not walking around dead, right? I've been given life. I have life in Christ. I'm not dead. When this book is preached, it's a living book, right? It speaks to my soul. It strengthens my heart. It gives me the strength that I need to continue on. It's the daily food that we need, right? It's the manna that we, that we need. It's the bread and it's the water that we need of life to survive. And to not only to survive, but to thrive. It's the honey from the rock, isn't it? It is all things that, that we need, right? That pertain unto life and godliness. It feeds our souls. It strengthens our hearts. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. See, Christ is the author of peace between God and his people. Says one, there is naturally in man an enmity to God. Naturally. Why? Well, because we like to do our own thing and go our own way. You know, have you ever told, have you ever given your, your children a, a direction or a command or, or instruction to do something, right? You tell them to do something and, and you see them get so frustrated by what you ask them to do. And, and, and have you ever looked at them and asked them, why, why are you so upset about that? And they're like, I don't know. And I look at them and say, I know. Because you're self-willed and you want to do what you want to do. Why? Because that's human nature. We don't like being told what we're supposed to do. Or what to do. And especially when it comes to instructions from proper authority in the Bible and scripture like that. If we're not wanting to do right, we get upset about it. If we want to do what we want to do. And that's what children are like. As well, when you correct them and instruct them, they don't like it. They get upset by it. Why? Because they're carnal. <laughs> they're carnal nature. It's there. The carnal mind is the enemy of God. It's, it's, at, it's an enemy of God. But Christ is that author of peace between God and his people. Sin is separated chief of friends. Nor can man make his peace with God. What he does or can do will, will not do it. And what will, he cannot do. Christ is the only fit and proper person for this work. Being a middle person between both. And is only able to affect it. Being God as well as being man. And so could draw an eye to God. Do you understand that? Christ had to come. Why? Because he is fully God and fully man. And that's the only way we were going to get through this mess. <laughs> Amen. It took God to come, to be a man, to die for our sins, to suffer this life, to suffer through things, to die, and to defeat death, and to rise again from the dead. So your mediator is actually God, fully God, and fully man. So you can't say, well, he doesn't quite understand what I'm going through. Well, he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. We have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Right? That's the difference, isn't it? He went through it. He suffered it. And he got victory over it. Amen. That's why he was able Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. That's why he is able. I really, truly hope that you would direct your thoughts more towards Christ and less towards yourself. We are very selfish people. We are. Say, speak for yourself. I am. That's why I said we. Right. We are very selfish people. Amen. Come on. Right? I didn't say you are. I said we are. Okay. We are. We are very selfish. Well, I don't consider myself. Well, towards God, we're selfish. 
and towards ourselves, we want everything. Amen. One said, Entreat with him about the terms of peace with Christ, that we could draw nigh to God and treat with him about terms of peace, and agree to them and perform them, and which he has brought about by his blood, his sufferings and death, and which is made in on honorable terms by a full satisfaction of, to the law and the justice of God. And so is lasting one, and attended with a train of blessings. Moreover, Christ is the donor of peace, of external peace in his churches, and of internal peace of conscience, and of eternal peace in heaven. You see, you see, it seems like to me that what you're trying to say is that Christ is all. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say to you. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if you were more concerned with Christ than yourself, you will grow spiritually. When you become consumed with yourself, nope. Into the crucible you go. Into the fire you go. Time to burn off more dross. Right? Time to burn off more of me. In, in the midst of some trials and after some trials, you may be tempted to catch yourself to say, am I really that bad? Yes, and then some. Actually, way worse than that. Like Spurgeon said, if men say bad things about you, well, the, well you're way worse than men have ever said about you. <laughs> and he's right, isn't it? Everything every man has ever accused you of, you're way worse than that. Amen. Amen. The honest man that knows his own heart would say that. You walk up to a born-again, Bible-believing Christian that loves the Lord, and you ask him, do you think you're a good man? No. Some other man might say you're a good man. You might say that about somebody else. But a man that knows his own heart, what he says is, no, I have a great Savior. Amen. <laughs> I'm not a very good man. I want to be, though. And I'm not talking about a false humility. I'm talking about the truth. It's just, we're dust. <laughs> we're frail. That's right. It's Christ that is great. Amen. It's Christ that is good. Christ is the donor of peace. We must remember that our internal peace of conscience can be shaken up by a number of different things. When we still, in all actual, tru actual truth and reality, have the peace with God by Christ. That doesn't mean your conscience won't be shaken up. Christ is not only our peacemaker, but our peace. And that in the fullest sense, the very substance and living spring of it, establishing it at the beginning, keeping it up to the end. So then the enmity you may perceive in your conscience or your mind and your heart could be due to a number of things, but it doesn't mean they're true. Number two, the second piece that is explained here is the peace is between Jew and Gentile. This is very important, and this is really the, the focus that Paul has here with this. Because again, remember, you know the backdrop of this. I mention it every week, but we're still on the same subject. But it's important for you to understand because many people, they take these scriptures and they, you can easily misapply them. But if you, if you exposit them and you, and you exegete them and you go through there and you just read what's there and you study what's there and you read it straight through, what you find is that Paul is dealing with Jew and Gentile in the church of Ephesus and all the churches of the saints. And he's explaining to them the difference in the change that took place. Christ is our peace, but in the sense of the text, he is speaking of the peace of Jew and Gentile in Christ. Not Jew, the Jews and the Gentiles outside of Christ are, I mean, they're going to, look what they're doing. They're trying to kill each other, right? Why? Because they're outside of Christ, that's why. Where is their peace? When you get saved, what happens? When Jew gets saved and Gentile gets saved, what do they do? Love one another. They don't want to kill each other. Right? Changes 
Why? Because Christ broke down the middle wall of partition between them, having abolished it. How about that? That's powerful right there. Come on. That's the truth right there. That's, that's important to understand. You want to know all these people? By the way, that's why all these people treat Jews horribly too out there. Christians naming the name of Christ that have bad theology, treating Jews bad. What do you, you don't read the Bible? What, where are you getting this from? Right. That's not, that's not Bible. You don't treat Jews that way. Crazy. It, it turns in, I'm telling you, these people go nuts. Weird stuff happens to them. They, they go loony, man. They, they go loony when they do that. They, they do go nuts. It's just, it's a weird thing, man. It's like when they attack the King James Bible, they lose their brains. They lose their brains when they do that with Jews. They get all kinds of messed up. They can't even see what's really going on in the world. I tell them all the time when they say oh, the Jews are the top of that pinnacle, and I always tell them Rome, and I show them from the scriptures, and they get mad at me about that. I was like, it's just a hidden hand of Rome is all this is. And these other Jews are working, who they're working for, the high-level people, and who they're working for, and everything. And it's all Luciferianism at the top. That's what the Bible says. That's what those people are doing. But it's not like Jewish people as a whole. Right? It's not like... It's not. It's, it isn't. That's not. They're not. They're not. Look, people over there that are dodging bullets, trying not to die. They're not trying to kill. They're not trying to take over the world. That guy just wants to, like, not die. Like, he doesn't want his house blown up. He might be a sinner on his way to hell, but he's not trying to kill you. Just like there's people over. I guarantee you there's people over in Gaza. They're not trying to kill, you, kill Jews either. They just want to eat some food and live and not, like, die. And not have bombs wailed at them because of idiots that are out there lobbing bombs from Gaza. Not everybody's like that over there. So, so try to put yourself in a perspective of that understanding. Otherwise, you lose sight of things. Right, right. Believe me, there's Muslims that have lived at peace next to Jews for years. But when white people from America, from Congress, come over there and, the, and then they start hiring people and then, and then that, that dirty old pope in Rome does, guess what happens? Well, we'll just put a border right along Jerusalem, right around Gaza. We'll make Gaza the border. Some, who determined that? Well, Satan, ultimately. And then, some, and then some white dude over in Europe, some king over in Europe, decided, I think it'd be a good idea to cause this battle here later. It, it, normal people don't do that. Regular people, like, they're, going, they're doing the same stuff you do all day. They don't have time. They can't even afford their bills. Right? They don't have time to blow people up. They don't have any money. <laughs> right? Think about it. Think about it. It's just like China. You think two billion people over in China really want to kill you? Nope. I mean, what more do they have to do? They're making your iPhones for you. <laughs> right? And your food if you want it, but I wouldn't do it. But anyway. Don't import your food from China. That's crazy. But uh, anyway, but no, the point is that th those people aren't, what, is there a military and people that are like dictators that are led by Satan? Yeah, just like Washington. Dictators led by Satan. But they're not, those people over there, you think that dude that has like enough money to eat a bowl of rice and like try to survive and under a social credit score from the beast system, let it give you, and your Christian brothers over there in China want to want to blow you up? That are over there? No, they don't want to blow you up. They don't want to live their lives like that either. So, so think about it for a second. Think logically, right? Uh, about that. Now, when it comes to Jew and Gentile here, though, that's why there's no peace, by the way. The world is without the Prince of Peace. That's why they don't have peace. You can say by the grace of God, you get peace. You don't want to kill people no more. You're like, I don't want to kill anybody. I don't want to do that. I, gotta, I want to witness to them so they get saved. Like Jesus said, love your enemies. Right? No. Not at all. I mean, people have done horrible things. I've watched people do horrible things, and their life is in shambles. When they turn away from God, they do bad things, but I don't wish any of it on them. I wish that they would have listened and done right. I don't, I'm not like, yeah, they finally got theirs. I don't feel that way at all about anybody like that. I, I do not have that vengeance in my heart for that. And that's God that took that out of my heart. I don't, I don't you know, not to have that. He kept it from me. Right. Yep. It's not because I'm some great man. It's just because the Lord did that work in me. Like, no, don't. You just, you got to let things go and let God have it and move on. Right? 
So now Paul comes to this topic in the church, though, and he's dealing with the Jews and Gentiles. And he made them both one, the Lord did, by reconciling the two divisions of men who were wont to malign, to hate, and to reproach each other. Before, he made us both one in Christ. Now those who are outside of Christ, they are not one. That's why they still fight, right, about those things in that way. Now this is speaking spiritually, of course. There's always going to be cultural differences between Jews and Muslims and Christians and, you know, people from America and people. There's going to be cultural differences always. We understand that. But what he's saying is spiritually, you're all on even ground. <laughs> Christ, Christ said all are lost, so all may come to know Christ as Savior if they repent and believe the gospel. All aren't saved, right? But they have the opportunity to be saved. The gospel is preached to them. That's why Paul says there is neither Jew nor Gentile bond or free, or he speaks of male and female. He's not saying there's no more order of the sexes. He's not saying the husband is no longer the head of the wife because he explains in other texts of scripture. Let me tell you something what people do. It's very dangerous with the Bible. You, you and I can handle the word of God deceitfully and maybe not even on purpose at times, but just if we're not right about that, what they'll do is they'll take a verse like there's neither male nor female and say, see, women can preach and do all this other stuff. Wait a minute, you're taking a text and you're, you're taking a text and you're defining it right there. And then even if it smacks in the face of all other Bible verses around. Right, right. And it's like, but Paul specifically gave the order in the churches of who was to preach, who was not to preach. Let your women keep silence in the church. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He didn't destroy all that by one sentence where he says there's either male nor female, female bond or free. He's not talking about that. He's saying, spiritually speaking, my wife is just as much of a saint of God as I am. Amen. Right? Right. Just that you are, we are all just, we're all saints of God. We are all children of God. Those that are born again are children of God in Christ Jesus. There is no difference. That's what he's saying. So before males got circumcised and females didn't have a part in that, right? It was passed on through the male, and that's how, that's how that lineage went and everything. So then God made it. What did he do? He changed it in the New Testament. What did he do? He instituted new ordinances. And no, circum and no baptism is not the new circumcision. Somebody tells you that, they're a baby baptizer, and they can't read very well either. But uh, anyway, so that's it. But God says male and female get baptized. All converts get baptized, amen? that are born again by the Spirit of God. They come for believer's baptism, male or female, right? God made it that way, that they would partake in the Lord's Supper, right? But he still didn't change the order of the sexes. But what he did is he destroyed the enmity that was, that, that, that was there. He broke down the middle wall of partition that was there to, to separate Jew and Gentile. It's a, it means that all are on an even playing field. Doesn't mean all the positions have changed. No, because later he tells about the husband, the wife, and all those things. And the wife to reverence her husband and the husband to love his wife. And he lays down the offices in the church, right? He, he does that. He makes sure that we understand all those things. Children can't look at their parents and say, well, there's either male nor female, bond nor free, so dad, I'll do what I want to do. <laughs> right? Doesn't work that way. <laughs> Sorry, son, I think you misinterpreted that scripture and you're going to get a whooping. <laughs> and maybe just for misinterpreting that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, right? Of course not, you know. Equally, my son is equal spiritually if he's in Christ, right? But there's still the natural order of things that God has laid out. So he's not telling them they're never, you know, they're done with Jewish lineage. But he's saying they're not better. All are the same in Christ. All are the same. That's, that's the explanation that he gives here. In the body of Christ, they, they are no different. God has made peace. Reconciliation has not only taken place with God, but with each other. The best way to produce peace between alienated minds, says one, is to bring them to the same Savior. Amen. So he brought Jew and Gentile. Man, you got to imagine when Peter's preaching at Pentecost, all those people get saved. Then, then a little while later, Peter's got to go to Cornelius' house, right? Peter, Peter preaches at Cornelius' house. Holy Ghost falls upon all. They, they're speaking in tongues, right? And that's a sign to those Jews. And those Jews are like, whoa, what just happened? 
And then they got to go back and tell all the rest of the apostles what took place. Well, they got saved just like we did by the same Jesus. Oh. For God hath also granted unto the Gentiles repentance unto life. Wow. You, see, you say that, and you're like, yep, I just read that verse. Peter was saying that like, God hath also granted repentance to the Gentiles, repentance unto life. You don't understand like the cosmic shock that took place there. Well, okay, not to mention, you know, there's no fiery tongues that fell down with Cornelius, but that happened there in the upper room. But when Peter goes to Cornelius, the Holy Ghost falls. They speak in tongues because Jews are there. It was a sign to the Jews that Jesus Christ was saving lost Gentiles. It was a sign to the Jews. That's all it was. Every sign is not, is not, it's not for us. It's for the, it was for the Jews. That's why we don't speak in, that's why you don't miraculously walk around speaking in tongues, although some of you sound like you are sometimes, but, right? But you don't, right? You don't miraculously do that. Why? Well, it's not necessary. You have the word of God. We preach the Bible. God, this wasn't written yet. The New Testament wasn't. But what they did have, and by the way, that, those gifts were given to finish the scriptures. Do you understand that? For the, for, for the apostles to finish writing the scriptures, those gifts were given. That's why it was given to them. It wasn't given to everybody. People didn't just walk around and, and do those miracles and have those gifts of knowledge and all those things like that that people try to say, I got, the, I got a word of knowledge. Where'd it come from? I got a word of knowledge too. Here's, here's your word of knowledge. I got it. If it ain't from here, I don't want to hear your word of knowledge. It's probably from the devil. I've heard enough humanism in my life. I don't need any more. Right? If you got a word of knowledge, it better be which book is it in. Turn to it. Right? You always know them by their lingual when they say they got a word of knowledge. Right? Like George Jefferson moving on up. They, they, that's, that's, how, that's how they sound when they're talking to you, Right? Sorry, that's just what it reminds me of. And, they, and they're so cocky and arrogant with it, and, they, and, they, and they, they, they start to tell you about their word of knowledge. It doesn't have anything to do with the word of God. It's all like futuristic like prophecy, like you're going to do this, and God's going to do great things with you, and this is going to happen. That's, that's their word of knowledge. Instead of the plain scriptures. And this is too boring for them. No, this keeps them in check, and they don't like it. This keeps every preacher in check. This keeps every church in check. You, you go outside of this and it's evident. It sticks out like a sore thumb. It's like, whoops. You can't do that. Right? So God made that reconciliation. They will, that will do more to silence contentions coming to Christ. Right? To bring them to the same Savior. Will do more to silence contentions and to heal alienations than any or all other means. Bring people around the same cross. Fill them with love to the same Redeemer and give them the same hope of heaven and you put a period to alienation and strife. The love at Christ is so absorbing and the dependence in His blood so entire that they will lay aside these alienations and cease their contentions. The work of the atonement is thus designed not only to produce peace with God but peace between alienated and contending minds. Well, I'll give you a perfect example. The Apostle Paul. He warred against the church. He killed them. Right? He hailed him. He hauled him in. What happened after he got, after he had that little, uh, his, his trip to Damascus there on, on the road to Damascus and the light shone? What happened? Lord came down. He said, Lord, <laughs> right? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Lord, what do you want me to do, Lord? Saul, Saul, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. See, God knew Paul, uh, God knew Saul was kicking against the pricks the whole time. He knew he was kicking against it. He's fighting the Bible hard. He's fighting God's word hard. He's fighting the apostles hard. He was fighting the, the Lord's church hard. Right? But when the Lord gave... By the way, who was Paul? He was a Jew. What happened? A sign that he was to be an apostle. Right? The Lord came to him. Not to the Gentiles. Came to him. Right? That's how the Jews knew, Right? That's how they knew how God was working. So you got to have your theology correct with that. That's why people can't understand that. So they're still trying to do stuff back there in Acts of the Signs and Wonders. 
By the way, they don't want to preach on the streets like that, right? They don't want to do the open-air evangelism that got Paul beat and stoned and thrown down and all that, but they want the miracles. They want, to, they want the miracle. They want the Simon the Sorcerer. They want to be like Simon the Sorcerer. How do I get in on this thing? How do I get a gig like that, right? But they don't want to go through the afflictions that Paul went through, right? They don't want that. This great work of atonement is thus designed to produce peace in alienated minds everywhere and to diffuse abroad the feelings of universal brotherhood. That means when you get around people that you know are children of God that love the Lord Jesus, it's not hard to tell they're saved people, how they respond to the gospel, how they respond to the Bible, how they respond to... I mean, there's factions and differences, of course, but for the most part, you know when somebody loves the Lord, you can see it. See, the Jews could no longer look at us and call us dogs or Goya or look at us with that superiority because in Christ we are all one. This teaching would cause a great stink, though, a great problem. You see why the lost Jews always wanted to kill Paul? <laughs> why do you think they did? Because Paul said Jesus broke down the middle wall of partition. He abolished the enmity. And the Jews could not, the lost Jews could not handle that. That was too much for them. They were God's chosen people. How in the world could that enmity be broken through Jesus Christ? Peter said, whom you crucified and hung on a tree. All right? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul talks about this again. I think we, we just don't think about this that much. What, what's going on here, but... He, it's all over Paul's writings. I mean, that's why God sent him to the Gentiles. He was the most qualified man to go to the Gentiles ever. Because no one was going to out-Jew Paul. Nobody was. So when those Judaizers came and they're like, oh, you're going to out-Jew me? You ain't going to out-Jew me. Right? You just ain't going to do it. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-two. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. <laughs> Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. <laughs> Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. Now remember, they're killing him because he's preaching the enmity has been destroyed. They're killing, and then the Judaizers that claimed to be Christians came in, and they claimed to be Christians, and they were causing him trouble. They challenged his apostles. He ain't really an apostle. Look, we're really Hebrews, okay? Paul, he pretends to be a Hebrew, but we are really. I mean, we're more Hebrew than Paul is. So Paul's writing this, and he's like, all right, let me give you my credentials, okay? I mean... <laughs> He, he was, he, his letters were weighty, right? <laughs> yeah, they did. I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Ouch. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Ouch. Remember that? When they took him out of the city and stoned him? Oh, he was a mess, his face was. Then he jumped up and said, all right, let's go. <laughs> they're all looking at him. His face is all mangled up. And they're looking at him like, where are we going? We're going back in there to preach. That's where we're going. <laughs> I don't know where you're going. I'm going back in there. <laughs> they're like, you can't go back in there, Paul. Oh, yes, I can. Chin all hanging off him. Watch me. They're going to see what they did to my ugly face. I'm going back in there. Right? Boy, that was a wild time, man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He did just get back. He was pumped up, man. Right? He had seen all these things that was not lawful for a man to speak because that's when I believe he was killed, was when he was stoned because his body was down. Right? And that's when I believe he went up saw the, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. Powerful stuff, isn't it? That ain't no Jesse Duplantis trip to heaven, is it? Ha, <laughs> ah, Jesse, 
that ain't the same thing. Not everybody was slapstick in heaven, right? I don't know what version of heaven that guy went to, but it sounds like he was on a lot of dope. That ain't the heaven I'm going to. I'm going to tell you that right now. Amen. They don't all talk like Jesse Duplass. <laughs> Big barrel chested man. <laughs> Can't even believe it's real. It's like a bad cartoon, man. The guy misses calling. He should have just been a comedian and stayed away from the Bible. Amen. He would have been more honest then, That's wouldn't right. he have? Right? Instead of leading people to hell and lying That's to them right. and stealing their money and robbing them blind. Robbing them blind. Those people are robbing those people blind. Poor people, they got no money. Send them a whole Social Security checks, thinking they're going to sow their seed and get rich. Well, that guy lives in, he brags he has the biggest house in the state that he lives in. Yeah. I don't know how he knew that, but whatever, I don't care. Yeah, he's his man. Well, he said he already been to his mansion in heaven. He's already been there. He already saw it and everything. He knows it. Down the street from Oral Ripoff's mansion. I bet it is. It's down there. It ain't no mansion either. It's a it's a hell in the cell, is what it is. That's right. But Paul says in journeys often. Well, he says, Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen. Yep. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. Man, they didn't leave him alone in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. Yep. In weariness and painfulness. In watchings often. In hunger and thirst. In fastings often. In cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without. That which cometh upon me daily. The care of all the churches. He said, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? Now, why is he explaining this? He's explain By the way, these are his credentials for being an apostle. He's, he's talking about his suffering for the Lord. Paul was glorying in his infirmities, that the, that the power of Christ may rest upon him. He wasn't glorying in all the, you know, the heavenly visions of seeing. He wasn't glorying in any. He was glorying in his infirmities. He said, you want to know my war wounds? You want to know? I'll show you why. I'll show you what the Lord's done. Why? Because Paul's not, I mean, he's not bragging about it. He's a mangled up mess. <laughs> he's, like, he's, not, he's not bragging. He's not like, yeah, this was awesome. He's like, no, this was, this was hard. This is what the Lord brought me through. He said, are they apostles? Have they seen Jesus Christ? And he said, this was the, the, you know, the real power of his apostleship, what the Lord had done in him. But see, Christ had made both one, Jew and Gentiles. So Paul is preaching this message all over the place. So what happens? Well, the Jews don't want to lose their superiority. So when they find out Paul is preaching the gospel to Gentiles, Gentiles are getting saved and getting baptized, identifying with Christ. And, and then Jews and Gentiles are showing up at local New Testament churches. And they're getting along? And they're eating next to that dude that has a big old plate of porky pig ribs? And they're not like burning his house down and they're not like separating from him and they're not doing any of those things? No, they're sitting there with them and rejoicing and fellowship with them and loving them. And the, and the Gentiles are loving the Jews and there's no enmity between them because Christ is between them. Christ brought them together. So they're like, how can I hate you when Jesus saved us both? So the, you got to imagine the Jews, when Paul's describing this, most of this is the Jews killing him, trying to kill him everywhere he went. And the Gentiles, but mostly Jews. They always sought him out. And the, 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 in every city he started churches, they looked him up. And if they found him, they wanted to get him. Well, look who eventually got him because God wanted him to go to Rome. The Jews did. They cornered him. They got him. And they, they, they thought they set him up, but they didn't set him up. God told him, you're going to go to Rome. <laughs> you're just going to go by way of Jerusalem. Right? Number three here. The peace was by breaking down the middle wall. 
One said it this way, broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There was literally a wall in the temple court that divided the inner court area where only Jews were allowed from the outer court called the court of the Gentiles. Stone plaques warned Gentiles not to enter. Is that serious? So, okay, now let's go back and think about this for a second. What do we remember that happened in Jerusalem that caused that the whole city was in an uproar? What happened? Somebody told the Jews that Paul let lost Goya dog Gentiles into the temple. Right? That he snuck them in. That he brought uncircumcised Gentiles in. They weren't allowed to go in. Well, they lied because Paul didn't do that anyway, but they lied about him. Why'd they lie? Well, what's the only thing that would make that whole city of temple-worshipping Jews, Jews that worshipped in the temple, well, it's, it's the only thing that would make them flip out and want to kill him? If he stuck some profane Gentile and brought that abomination that maketh desolate into the temple. Well, that's what they said he did. Well... That isn't what he did, but there were stone plaques that warned Gentiles not to enter in. A complete plaque is housed in the Archaeological Museum in Istanbul and in Turkey, and a partial one is housed in, housed in the Israel Museum. Written in Greek and Latin, they read, No foreigner is to enter. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his death which follows. Now, that's historical, obviously, but that's the same thing that Paul was talking about, though. That's why they, they wanted to kill him. Because, I mean, that's a death sentence, right? You bring them in, that's a death sentence. So that's one of the pictures that Paul is alluding to. It's not the only one, though. Because Paul's talking about heaven, right? He's talking about what, G in Hebrews, Paul talks about that, how that the middle wall of partition is broken down. Paul talks about how the veil is rent, right? And Paul talks about the holiest of all is opened, right? So we can enter in by Jesus Christ. Paul is talking about the throne room of God. That you and I, through Christ Jesus, are able to go to the throne of God. That was not possible before. Because there was an earthly temple, and things were done according to temple worship. And things changed, and Paul's preaching something different, and he's got to die for that. But see, Christ has removed all barriers between Jew and Gentile in the church. Jew and Gentile are both one. The age-long division is removed. The enmity between Jew and Gentile was deep, ancient, and enduring. Jews regarded Gentiles as unclean scavenger dogs. Gentiles despised Jews as grasping, canting religious hypocrites. Jewish ritual laws, especially the laws concerning clean and unclean food, made it virtually impossible for a conscientious Jew to have table fellowship with a Gentile. So social intercourse was practically forbidden. And Peter did the unthinkable when he went into Cornelius' house and ate with them. The great division in the ancient world between Jew and Gentile is broken down in Christ. In him, Jew and Gentile meet on common ground. We are all one in Christ. The cross has swept away the obstacles created by Jewish rituals and laws. Just as Jews and Gentiles united to crucify Christ, so Jews and Gentiles are now united in Christ and in his church. You say, who's guilty of the body, the death and the, uh, of Jesus Christ? All of us. People say, well, is it the Jews? Yes. Is it the Gentiles? Yes. He died for your sins. Right? All are guilty. Well, I wasn't there. Oh, yeah, you were. That sinful nature was there. Same one you possess, same one I possess. That fallen nature that Jesus Christ had to die for. The sins of man. He died for sins and sinners. Amen. And whether you're Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. Paul covers that in Romans chapter 1 through 3, right? He says, oh, you're Jews? Are you Gentiles? You don't have the law? Well, you're guilty. Without the law, you're guilty. The Jews, you think you're a Jew, you think you're something special? He says in Romans chapter 2, well, you're guilty too. You had the law and you still broke it. And then in 3, he says you're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. 
very simple. And that's what he made it. Praise God that he broke down the middle wall of partition. Why? Because you couldn't be saved if he didn't break down the middle wall of partition. Jesus had to come. So why do they war like that over there? Because they don't have Jesus. That's why. That's why they're in an uproar. That's why. Right? They want that to stay there, don't they? They go about, Paul said, seeking their own righteousness. That's what the Jews are trying to do, and the Gentiles. The Jews are trying to seek their own right. They're trying to build, they want to reinstitute the temple, and they're gonna. And the Pope's gonna help them do it. They're gonna build it for the Pope. You watch. If we're here, right? <laughs> you watch. They're gonna build it for him. Yep. The cross swept away that, right? A middle wall of partition, a great difference in distance, and such there was between a Jew and Gentile by reason of the ceremonial law. But Christ removed it and made up the difference. The illusion seems to be on the wall which divided the court of the, the Gentiles, which we talked about. Again, he made us both one. What an impact. You know, you and I being in a dominated Gentile world in the time of the Gentiles, we just have no idea what was going on. And the, but just think about a little glimpse of seeing Israel and Gaza right now and, and what's going on there. That's kind of a picture of the war zone that Paul is preaching through. When he goes out there and preaches, Jesus will save these Syrians. Where'd the gospel go to Antioch? Who are they? Syrians. And the biggest church ever, was it? I mean, Jerusalem was at the, at the time. But the most uh, missions-minded church or church-planting church was Antioch. Couldn't get them, them Jerusalem Jews, even the saved ones. They were born-again Christians. I'm not, I'm not telling you they were lost. They were saved people. But the apostles, they were so stuck on the Jews and so stuck on Jerusalem and so stuck on that, they weren't starting churches. So Antioch, Syria, starts all the churches. And Paul's not sent out of Jerusalem. He's sent out of Antioch. And they're pushing the gospel through the known world everywhere. Thank God. See, in Christ, there are no squabbles with that, right? Jew or Gentile. You know, we have it today. We have those that go too far and worship Israel. Bill Grady covers that. I was reading part of his book. I just the outside of it. He, he talks about that. That people go way too far. Even they, they go too far. They go in scripture with it, right? They go the other way, right? Yeah, John Hagee saying there's another gospel. Basically, they don't have to be saved. No, they have to be saved. Paul said it right here. They got to be saved. Jew and Gentile. They're going to come into the church. They ain't going to. Yeah, they have a national heritage right through their blood. You know, they, they'll have that too. But that's. But right now, God's dealing with the church. God's saving sinners now and bringing them into his church. That's what he's doing. He's not dealing with that nation yet. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. The foreshadowings of it, we're seeing it, right? We're on the cusp of it. But God still, they got to be saved, right? Not that Paul, Paul recognized their cultural distinctives, you know? He didn't. He didn't whitewash Israel's sins. He said, oh, yeah, they're evil. They're enemies for the gospel's sake. They are, but you're to love your enemies. Don't forget. You're to love them, though. To those who hate Jews and have wrong attitudes concerning Jews, but they're wicked. In Christ, there's no squabbles between Jew and Gentile when it comes to that. Right? You see, the ceremonial law was used by the Jews to make them more superior. But Christ, having fulfilled all types and shadows, made peace for us all. Christ broke down the middle wall of partition. What was that? That's the ceremonial law. See, the ceremonial law that was instituted that God gave Moses, the ceremonial law that God gave Israel was what kept them from the Gentiles. You get it? Like he, he laid down the ceremonial law. Well, Jesus came and fulfilled it all. And then he said, well, that's done. Why? Because I came. Why would you, you don't need it? All those things were picturing me, right? 
And Paul says that in Hebrews. All those things were types and pictures. That's why we don't keep any feast days like that or holy days of old. People say, well, why don't you do that? Well, I'm not Jewish, number one. I don't think it'd be sinful if they did it. If they, even as Christians, if they recognize, I don't think it's sinful. It's not necessary. It doesn't have any salva uh, salvation value, right? Paul did some of them. He said they don't, he wasn't doing it for salvation. He was just doing it to be respectful. I mean, there's nothing wrrong with that. If it's not a sinful custom, there, I, I wouldn't observe them because I'm not Jewish. So why would I? I'm a New Testament Christian. Gentile, I, I wouldn't observe those things. But Christ, he slew those things. So now they can't boast against the Gentiles because all of us were needy beggars before God. Think about this great truth and its impact. Right? Think about their nature of living before and, and when Christ came. When at the death of Christ, the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom, it was an emblem that the way to the holiest was laid open and that the people at large, both Jew and Gentile, were to have access to the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Some think also there's an allusion here to the wall called Chel, which separated the court of Israel from the court of the Gentiles, which we talked about. Christ broke it down. He did so by leveling in the dust the middle wall of partition that separated them widely for ages. In a word, by abolishing the narrow particularism of Judaism. The wall in question was a ceremonial law, the law of commandments contained in ordinances given to Israel as a separate people and of positive appointment. The moral law was no part of the partition wall and contains, no, contains in itself nothing either to excite enmity or to establish separation between the man and God. So in other words, what he's saying is the moral law is still in effect. Christ showed us that. Paul repeats the moral law, right? When you go to, when you go to his epistles, Paul repeats the necessity for you and I, as children of God, to obey the moral law of God. What doesn't he have in there? Keeping the Sabbath day. He doesn't have circumcision in there. He doesn't have any of those things. Why? They weren't part of, that's not the moral law. It's not the moral law. The moral law, holiness, separation, righteousness unto God. Right? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not commit adultery. All of those things. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. That hasn't been repealed, right? That has been, it hasn't been fulfilled in that sense. Christ fulfills it in, we fulfill it in Christ in that sense. He fulfilled it for us because he loved God perfectly. But we are commanded to walk in obedience to the, to the moral law of God. But what changes? Here, check this out. How could Jew and Gentile be in a church together if they weren't even allowed to eat together? You, you know as well as I do that if you have any church that's a bit close, even a little bit, or if you have any friends at all, one of the main things that you do with friends is you sit down with them and you eat with them. You pray over your food together. You eat with them and you fellowship with them. That's what friends do. That's what brothers and sisters do. That's what families do. Here's another one. They couldn't, if, if God did not destroy that ceremonial law, they wouldn't even be able to observe the Lord's Supper together. You understand that? So that's what, when all these people say, well, what about mixed fibers? Done. That's, that's been done away. Well, what about them? Right? What about, do you eat pork? Like a champ. Right, more than you do. Bacon. Right? I'm a ham and egger, that's right. That's right, Ben. Ham and egger. Right? What's that? Spam counts. Yeah, I think so, yeah. It's, I don't know what that is, but. It's good, though, ain't it? It's good fried with some cheese and fake plastic cheese and stuff. So. Right? Come on, amen. All right, anyway. But, but think about that, though. They couldn't even... So Paul is preaching to them, and, and we're done here. But Paul is preaching to them, and he's telling them, well, now that ceremonial law, like what... Christ broke down that middle wall of partition. 
So when you see your brother not obeying the Jewish dietary laws in a church, what are you, what are you supposed to do? Nothing. Paul's telling them that it doesn't, it doesn't matter. That was, those were all types and pictures. They weren't, they, they were imperfect. Yeah, you, you can or you can't. Yeah, you don't have to. Or they could if they wanted to. If someone told me, well, I don't eat this because I, I have a conscience. Well, that's fine with me. I don't care if you eat it or don't eat it. I'm not going to judge you by that. Unless you eat sardines, because that's just weird. But <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Judge not. But, uh, no, but... but I think it's, it's amazing when you take it in this context and you understand it. So now what do you have today, though? You have all these Hebrew roots people. They're trying to conform the churches to Old Testament Jewish law. And Paul and the, the, the book they hate the most is Galatians. They hate it. They hate that book. And Hebrews, by the way. They hate that book, too. Why? Because it nails all their, all, those, all their Judaizing. It just nails it. And, but, but if you read Ephesians right there like we did, Paul is telling you that's how he could get along with all the, I mean, remember, he's a Jew. And he's hanging out with all these people. That's God's work. That ceremonial law didn't matter now because Christ fulfilled it. The enmity was done with. And now in Christ, we're to go on unto perfection. We're to grow up. And he's going to get to that, right? In Ephesians, he's going to say that you may grow up in him in all things, that you be no more tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of dog, you know, running around and carried around. Yeah. But you grow up in him in all things. It's an amazing thing, really. For us, 2,000 years later, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of distanced from that in some ways. But it's evident, and it's very important what he did. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you, and thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for being our peace with God. Amen. And thank you for giving us the peace of God and peace with others through Christ Jesus. Father, bless us for the rest of the week here as we prepare for the weekend, Lord. And please keep us all safe and healthy. Keep sickness away from us, Lord. Please keep everyone safe on the roads as they travel. Let no one be injured or hurt in any ways, Lord. And bring us back safely on Sunday that may we rejoice in the house of God and uh, sing your praises and fellowship one with another and, and preach into the new year, Lord. Preach to lost sinners who need the gospel as badly as we did when you saved us. Thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.